Hi, my name is Cecilia Puna, and welcome to this episode of Brave New Women. All around the world, there are amazing, ordinary women doing extraordinary things. Brave New Women is about giving those women a platform and a voice, and it's about changing the way that women are perceived. And it's a way of inspiring all of us to do the things that we've always wanted to do. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking to Rita Hogan. And Rita lives in Idaho. And I understand that in Idaho, there are two career paths. Either you can become a nuclear scientist or you can become a rancher. And Rita began as a nuclear scientist, but then she resigned three years ago. And then since then, every winter, she's had a very unusual um, occupation, which has been helping her father feed elk. So welcome, Rita. Thank you. I'm happy to be talking to you. Um, let's start with your resignation as a nuclear scientist. Can you tell me about that? Um, yeah. So there was a lot of a lot of things that came together right right at the kind of the same time that that prompted that. I'd been working kind of at the same same position, same job for seven years, and I I'd moved up in that job kind of uh, uh, increasing resp- responsibility and roles. So the job the job part was good and I liked kind of where my career path was headed, except that it seemed like there were some some ceilings that I wasn't going to be able to break through. And and I talked to some other some other people uh, at the lab where I worked and and at other labs or people who had retired who said in my in my situation what or they had been in a similar situation and what they did was they quit and they went and got a job elsewhere at a lab like either in a different country or a different state and then they had to they had to quit leave go somewhere to other some other lab and then come back and then they could get hired back on at at the level that was more appropriate to their experience and education so i kind of had that idea of um, this is kind of where I'm going to be at. This is the level of pay I'm going to be at if I if I stay in this position. So, I I tried to get a different job before just quitting, but it got to the point where I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to quit and see what happens. And then also in my personal life, I had, I was remodeling a house, just finished remodeling a house, and there was a lot of stress involved in that. And then I had. Uh, let's, Howdy was about two at the time. So a two or three year old, maybe about three, three year old son that I felt like I was missing out on a lot of, a lot of his life. The first three years, I feel like I missed out on most of it. Not, not most of it, but that's kind of how I felt. So it just seemed like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to take this time to be a mom. That's like, I kind of justified. There was a lot of justification in the whole, it took me about, it took me about two years to quit. I was kind of resolved that I was going to quit. And then there's a lot of pressure to like, oh, this is a really good paying job, stability. I went to school for all these years. So like I had kind of decided I was going to quit two years earlier. And then I was like, no, I can, I'll stay. I can, I can make it work. And so that's kind of. I finally got to the point. A few things happened. A few decisions were made that I was like, "Okay, that's it. That's it." I like, "Thanks for making that decision to make it clear 
that this is uh, what I need to do. So yeah, so I quit in, it was in the fall and I had about a month of vacation time saved up. So, oh, I can't remember exactly. I went like Howdy and I went and did a bunch of fun stuff. And then I had kind of a month where I I was still on my vacation time. And I told my boss that I wanted to quit, but I was still technically fully employed and they weren't firing me. So I could still technically come back to work. I had to go back after that month to get everything out of my office and have a conversation with my boss. And he said all the right things that made it clear to me that I definitely still wanted to not go back to work there because in the meantime everyone that all my um like colleagues a lot of a lot of people were like oh no don't quit i've got all this other work that you can work on and w- like you don't have to quit so I, I was kind of that month i was kind of like uh i don't know but then being away from there for a month made it pretty clear and then that last conversation with my boss at the time was like oh okay um i know this is the right decision then so, yeah, so not an easy decision. No, no. It, I um like for my for my like mental health, I I was like I knew this is what I had to do, but for everything else and for all the like uh judgment or like external, I was like it was a very hard decision. For my for my inner, it was like, yeah, I know this is what I have to do, but just like all the other external pressures, it was like, uh, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. So it was the fall. And then my dad, usually he, he starts getting ready to go feed the elk in the winter, like in the fall. So, so it was kind of like a, Hey, don't hire anybody. I'm coming to help you. I'm coming to work because before that I would just go on the weekends or on holidays, Christmas vacation. So, so it was kind of the, the timing was such that it was like, okay, I'm going to, feed the elk now so and how long has your dad been doing that so he started doing it in 2006 in the in the winter of the fall 2006 and then i and i and at the time when he started doing it i didn't i didn't really have anything to do with him like we didn't talk so i didn't really know that he was doing that i hadn't really heard of it and then the next year the the people that had helped him uh the first year was like our neighbor who had been laid off and so he went he went back to work and so my dad was hiring hired his cousin to come and that that fall for some reason my dad like got a hold of me and was like hey come come I'm going on a drive so I went with him and his cousin on this drive and that was in 2007 I was still in college but I was just like, oh, okay. And we went to this place. It's called the Grovant and it's spelled, well, it's French, you know, it, but it, they, they, they said gross adventure. That's what they, they're like. We're going to the gross adventure. And Grovant, Grovant. Yeah. It's big wind, is it? Um, big belly. And, ah, vent, Grovant. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it, okay. it's named that, uh, it's the Grovant wilderness and the Grovant river and it's named after when the french trappers came they i they saw the native americans and they had big bellies and so they named them the Grovant indians 
<laughs> and I don't fully really understand how, because still now there's Grovant Indians in Montana. So that's their, the tribe name is the Grovant Indians. So anyway, it's called the Grovant. Like I didn't know how it was spelled and I just had heard them say the gross adventure. And I, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I went just like for the drive and it was really, really pretty. And like, I think at the time I might've had a cell phone with a camera, but I think I had like a snap, a snapping camera. And I was, I just felt like the whole time I was like, I got to take pictures of this. This is awesome. So, and that was kind of the summer of 2007. And, and so then they, when they got around to feeding elk, I was going to college in Utah, but like every weekend I went up to feed elk because it was like the coolest thing ever. So, and then since then, every, every weekend, Christmas break in the winter, I, no matter where I was, like I was living, I don't know, six or seven hours away in Utah and I would still like make it uh, like work so I could go up there as much as possible throughout the years. So. And um, you said that you weren't really talking to your dad at that time. You didn't really know what he was doing. Tell me oh, about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in 2006, uh, I was around, I don't know, I can't, I should have thought about the math a little before this, but I was like in my 20s, I was going to college. And so my parents got divorced when I was in sixth grade. And then like right away, my dad got remarried. And, and then that, that uh, dynamic was such that he like he just didn't really have much to do with my sister and I or or we kind of had to at that point make an effort to anyway I was 12 at the time so I was like I'm not going to deal with that and so I just kind of went with my mom and I just didn't have anything to do with with him and his his new his, the lady that he married had like 12 kids or something so he was Gosh. yeah it was like a like a lot so he was busy with that anyway so I still like his, I still, uh, his, his family has a rodeo company. He has a rodeo company. His, like my grandparents had a rodeo company. So I was still really involved with his family, but his, like, they also didn't really like his brother didn't get along with him. So I was like, went with his, his brother's fam, like in that side of the family. And I was still involved with rodeos with them, but I just didn't have anything to do with my dad because of that, that dynamic of his new family. And then, and I was just doing my own thing and I didn't get along with his wife at all. So, um, so yeah, so we just didn't really have much to do with each other, uh, for that span from when I was like 12 until, until I was in college. So, so then it just like, kind of, it was like very, I don't know. It was, it wasn't like, he was tricking me to like hang out with him or, or I was, it was just, it was kind of, it just kind of happened that we got reconnected and like through, through going to the Grovant to feed the elk. And those first, those first years that I was, went up there as much as I could, he was hair, he was there some of the time, but then he would, he would leave on the weekends when I would come. Cause it was kind of like, Oh, well I I'm there. So he could go home. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we were like, hanging out all the time. It was just like, well, I wanted to be in the same place that he was at. So we kind of like started having more to do with each other as a result. So, 
Mm. And now we're, now we're like, we talk on the phone like every day or every other day and we're, we get along pretty good. So. Yeah. So it's made a pretty massive difference in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And tell me, well, tell me about, um, what, what is it like where you go? They're called Vant. Um, so I, I have only been there primarily in the winter time and the, the seasons are drastically different. So I, I just, I happened to have just went, I went there two days ago because I left some stuff in the cabin. So I went up and stayed the night there a couple of days ago and the summertime, it's, it's like a whole different world from the wintertime, but it's, um, it borders Grand Teton National Park and it's, it's a national forest. So it's, um, uh, trees and like beautiful mountains and there, the mountain range there, um, there's like red hills that are red and then there's like gray hills and there's all this different like mountain scenery that's, um, so it's not just like, and there's mountains with trees, but there's a lot of different diversity of the mountains. And then the, the Tetons, the, um, the, like the Grand Teton National Park, the Tetons are like these three, like striking peaks that you can see from a long ways away on both sides. And the view of the Tetons from the Grovant is like, I would say the best view ever because there's like, the foreground of like this grassy meadow where the, where the feed ground is. And then there's like the river and then off in the distance on the sides that like frame the view of the Tetons. There's like the trees with the mountains and then the gray Hills and the red Hills. And you can see all of it. And then, and then the Tetons are just like so much taller than everything around them that they're really pretty. And a lot of times it, like right now it's kind of smoky here from wildfires. So you can't really see the Tetons or it, a lot of times it's stormy or there's clouds, so you can't see them. But clear days, they're like really prevalent and you can, so it's really pretty. It's to me, it's the prettiest place in the world. And I've been to, like, I've been around to some pretty places. So I feel like that is like has some credibility for me to say that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So summertime, it's like kind of just green grass meadow. And then in the winter, normally there's like three feet of snow everywhere. So it's just like a sheet of like covered in white everywhere. And then like this last year, we had much less snow than normal. So you can still kind of see the, their sagebrush um, on the ground, but it's all like covered in white. Um, so for me, I like the, I like the winter best. Like I like all the time. Anyway, I like the cold in the winter. Um, so, uh, yeah, winter is like way more beautiful to me. And there's in the summer, there's a lot more traffic. People come up there and go camping cause it's public land. And in the winter, it's a lot less accessible in the winter. The road is closed and it becomes a snowmobile trail. So the only way to get there is a snowmobile and, uh, you can ride a snowmobile a lot faster than you on the, on the, on the trail, than you can drive a car on the, like the bumpy dirt road so the travel is a lot easier for me in the winter time mm. but so in the winter you're living up there in a cabin just with your father and your son right yeah there's there's two two cab cabins one one's like it has a kitchen and a, a room a bedroom 
And then there's a separate cabin that's a little smaller that just has a bedroom. So I've kind of like um, claimed the the small cabin as my own personal. They're, the cabins are owned by the state of Wyoming, but I kind of uh, took over the the small cabin as my personal cabin. And so Howdy and I stay in that that little cabin, and it, it just it's just a room with a couple windows, a door, and then there's a propane heater. And then the other cabin is two rooms with a, a bigger propane heater. And then it's got a propane fridge, propane stove. And yeah. So, um, yep. That's where, it, and then it's just my dad and then me and Howdy mm. for the most part. And tell me about the, um, the oak feeding. Why do you need to feed the oak first of all? Yeah. So, so the state of Wyoming started feeding the elk. I don't, I don't exactly know the number, but it's around a hundred years ago, they started feeding elk and, uh, they started that because the, the ranchers in the, the, in the area, the local ranchers were, they were feeding the elk, not because they wanted to, but the elk would come into their fields and eat their hay that they were feeding to their cows. So in order to keep their elk, the elk off of, from their cows that ranchers got together and started feeding the elk. And then the state of Wyoming kind of took over management of that out of necessity. And there's, there's some, there's some various reasons of why, like that's kind of the main why it started. And, and you could argue that development has taken over the, the elk's natural range where they would normally they would normally go down into the town of Jackson and now there's like houses and commercial and then also just the ranchers have taken over the the natural winter range of the elk so uh it was kind of born of necessity and now they've been doing it for so long if they stopped they wouldn't a lot of the elk would die because of that and then also with the reintroduction of the wolves they have to keep a certain population of elk alive so they can feed the feed the wolves otherwise the wolves and maybe even still the wolves would also eat the ranchers cows so there's all sorts of dynamics in play with uh with why they're doing it and why they're still doing it and it's it's really controversial of if if they'll stop if they're going to keep doing it and there's arguments on both sides of why why it's necessary or why it's not necessary so are there a lot of other people are there a lot of other people feeding elk in Wyoming? Oh, so yeah, so the state of Wyoming has twenty-two feed grounds and they're it's kind of scattered throughout the state, mostly like in the uh northwest corner, the west side of the state where the elk live. Uh so the, the twenty-two feed grounds, most of them are nearby highways or roadways to keep the elk off the roads. Cause the elk are just like going back and forth across the road. So if they have a feed ground right next to the highway, it'll keep the elk just up on one side. Um, and then our feet. So we feed, we did feed at three feed grounds. We're down to two feed grounds, but they're up high, higher up in the mountains, northeast of Jackson hole. And the kind of the purpose of our feed grounds is to keep some of the elk that would would drop down to Jackson Hole to the, the National Wildlife Refuge. It's to keep some of the elk up in the mountains so they don't all overcrowd the refuge in town. 
So there, there's different, uh, different reasons for all the different feed grounds and different areas. So, and the, the place where the cabin is, where we live, where we feed there, uh, that's owned by the game and fish. And then the other two feed grounds that we did feed at are the game and fish has a permit from the forest or from the wilderness or from other like government organizations to feed there, but they don't own that land. So a couple of years ago, the forest didn't renew the permit to feed at one of our feed grounds. So that's why we're down to just the, and that was all political because there's pressure to stop the feeding. And so that's kind of why that happened the way it did. But who, who is the pressure coming from to stop? Is it, are the environmentalists saying that we should, that you should stop or is it who are the different? Yeah. I think, I think that that is like, there's environmental groups that, that uh the argument is well it's not it's not a, not a natural thing for humans to be feeding the elk so that's like the argument that humans are like putting their hands too much into things that they shouldn't be um and then the other argument is that it's causing the elk to congregate more than they would n- normally which is like debatable i guess but then it's um the feed grounds are a breeding ground for disease among the elk. So there was uh, I, like brucellosis was the, was the hot topic or the hot the, the buzzword of the feed grounds are causing the spread of the brucellosis and then that can spread to cows. So that was like, but that I, it, you don't hear about that as much in the news. Now. Um, like the feed grounds in the winter are, Pretty much every day, there's something about the game and fish and the elk feeding in the local newspaper. So you don't hear about that. The brucellosis, now the new thing is CWD, is chronic wasting disease. So anyway, CWD, uh, chronic wasting disease, that's the new one. They found it in deer, and then they're worried that by feeding the elk, that's going to cause more CWD, which is also debatable. But... So the spread of disease and then just like interfering in, in nature unnecessarily. And then the reason, the reason why they're doing it and the, the, the pros for feeding, there's also a lot like obviously to keep the elk off of the ranchers, like the reason why it first started. And then also the state, the state feed or sells hunting tags. And that's an industry in itself of hunting the elk. So the state has a lot of revenue from hunting. So they they have a set number of elk that they want to maintain in order to maintain the number of hunts that they're selling. So it's a it's a money financial thing that way as well. So uh yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's not easy. Right, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of people with a lot of uh vested interests in in both sides of of the scenario so hmm. and what have you learned about the elk so yeah before before that i knew what elk were and i had maybe seen like one or two elk but but never never did i had i ever dreamed of just coming coming driving driving on a road and then coming over a, an ed or a, a map a and then and seeing thousands of elk all congregated in a field together that that like the first i mean every time kind of it's still it doesn't get old of just like 
like the first years that my dad was doing it, there would be 3,000 head of elk all in one one big group, which isn't, that's not necessarily a natural phenomenon. That that was kind of caused by the wolves get like running the elk around, but they would normally not hang out in such large groups like that. But so just like, I didn't realize that there were so many elk really. And I think, I think there's like, it's hard to say, but there's like, like over 20,000 elk in the state of Wyoming. So I didn't, I didn't realize just like, there's so many of them. And, um, I didn't, I didn't realize they changed so much from, from the seasons, which I've kind of started to learn that since I know what they're like in the winter. So I kind of just assumed that's what they're like all the time. But I mean, I know in the spring they drop their antlers, but then I like this summer, I try, I've, I set a goal for myself to go to Yellowstone national park once a month. And we see elk there and it's so, so surprising how quick their antlers grow back because their antlers get huge and, and they fall off in the spring and then they're fully grown back up in the fall. So going to the park every month and seeing the progression of how their antlers grow back is really like stunning to me that they grow back so fast. Um, and then I also didn't, I didn't really realize how how they defend themselves against predators. So, so that, that's been really interesting to see how they like their safety in numbers. When, when wolves come, they, they bunch up in a big group and they just like push in towards each other. And that's how most of them are safe inside. And then the only way that they can get hurt is if, if they run off away from the group and then the wolves can get them lined out and chase them. So, so that's all like n- new things that are interesting that I didn't, I just didn't think about before or realize. So do you see wolves a lot when you're up in the um, Yeah. So the wolves, it, it kind of varies from year to year. Uh, the, like this last year I saw, less than five pretty pretty much most years i can count the number of times that i saw a wolf not because they're not there like every day i see some uh evidence that oh there was wolves here last night pretty not not every day but often i see evidence of wolves but actually seeing a wolf i i can almost remember all the times i've ever seen a wolf because they're pretty elusive and they're they're um, active at night and in the early morning or like dusk is when, when I've seen them usually. Um, but maybe three years ago or not three years ago, f- five years when Howdy was like two, when I would just come up on the weekends that year, all the elk had went down to the refuge. So even though we we're there feeding them and they wanted them to stay up in the high country, there were so many wolves that year that the elk just did, weren't going to hang out up there and get picked off every day. So they all just went down to town where it's a little safer. And that year we saw more wolves than we saw elk. Like Howdy, as of his first time being up there, thought it was normal to see wolves every day. And then it was something to see an elk. So that year, that year was um, out of the ordinary, but I see, yeah, we saw wolves around there every day, but normally like 
they're pretty elusive. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fun to get to see them though, because, because of that, because they're hard, hard to spot. And what do you love about being up there? Um, oh, well, there's a lot to love. Like one of the first things that comes to mind is, is kind of silly, but there's no cell phone service and there's no electricity. Um, and for me, like my phone is like a, like a, like a jail sentence. Like I, I'm addicted to it and it's embarrassing to even say that. And I feel like I'm getting better and I'm aware of the problems. So that's all good. But, but it's, it's like a, it's like the shackles are released when you don't have cell phone service and, and people kind of know, oh yeah, she's in the Grove on, I can't get a hold of her. So like people have kind of been trained like, Oh yeah, I'm just not going to be able to get a hold of her until she comes out. Um, so the lack of cell phone service, which is a, such a simple thing that like you would think that you could get that anywhere if you just shut your phone off. But anyway, so that's a really nice, nice part of it. Just being, I have so much time in the day when I'm not on wasting it on my cell phone. And then, um, just like just the natural surroundings. It's, it's really pretty. Just being up there is like, just nice to be there but um probably so those are those are nice things about it um but i actually like probably my favorite thing i don't know it's hard to say favorite but the actual physical work of feeding feeding the elk it's really like labor intensive it's really physical work um uh we have to hook a team of horses to a sleigh and and depending on how much hay we have to feed we have to book two or three different teams of horses. And then we have to um, load the two string bales are like uh, average a hundred pounds each that we're loading onto the sleigh and we feed. uh, But depending on how many elk are there, the elk are wild. So they come and go, but we try to feed eight pounds, eight to 10 pounds per head of elk. So it ends up being, if there's three, 3000 elk, we'll feed three, 300 bales. And the last few years, there's been between a thousand and two thousand. So we feed between like a hundred and two hundred bales a day, and that just like that physical having to you load it onto the sleigh and then you drive around and you feed it. And for me, like it, it keeps it. We're busy all day, and the days are short. So to say we're busy all day doesn't say a lot, but we're we're. It takes us all day to to get that done. Cause some people ask like, well, how many times a day do you feed them? But it takes us all day to feed them one time. So we feed them once a day, but, but just that, like you have uh, like purpose and it's like, I know that tomorrow I'm going to be working hard all day. And then when you go to bed at night, you don't have trouble sleeping because you're tired and you're ready to sleep. Like you earned it. So I really like, that's kind of my favorite part of it. So in the, in the springtime, the elk kind of start leaving, they'll come and go and and it's more like less, it's more sporadic there. So then our feeding, we slow way down and the days are longer. And so it's not as much work. And then I start also like the spring fever, but it's like, I don't like to be up there if there's not work to do. It's, it's fun for like a day to like, if you're going to go camp and enjoy nature, but but if I just had to be up there and not have like a job like that, it's really, it's really hard to just be like, oh, you can only clean the cabin so many times. <laughs> do 
do so like things so many times until it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I need something else to do. So I really like the work aspect of it. Cause we do have some, there's some um, neighbors that have caretakers that spend the winter up there and their job is to just make sure the house doesn't burn down or to make sure like people don't break in and they're just kind of hanging out there all winter and they maybe have a few chores to do but but that would be really hard for me if if i knew all day tomorrow i'm gonna have like 10 minutes of work and then the rest of the day i have to figure out what i'm gonna do so i really like that i know that all day tomorrow i'm gonna be really busy and i'm gonna have to get up and hustle to beat the sun going down i really like that pressure kind of that time pressure and the one thing the thing that really um strikes me about the story too is that you went from a time of actually not really speaking much to your father to living with him for the entire winter yeah yeah and and it was subtle and i didn't even realize that that had happened until i don't know maybe like years later it's like oh yeah we didn't well it how I kind of realized it is friends would come up and he would be telling a story and something about me in high school. And I'm like, you don't, you don't know anything. Like you have me confused with one of your other kids. You don't know anything about what I did in high school. So then I like kind of made that realization like, Oh yeah, we, we really didn't like, you had no idea what I did my whole, like through high school. So then, and now we're like, really like, I mean, we still, we still have like a kind of funny dynamic, but like he, he's one of my best friends. So yeah, but mm-hmm. it's pretty cool that, and, and it would, that wouldn't have happened any other way. And, and now I hang out with him. It's not just the Grove on because before it was like, I just, I want to hang out in the Grove on whether you're there or not. But now like he, he works in Montana in the summer and I like to go do, do what he's doing wherever he's at. And I want to like, learn it's hard to learn from your own parents but i'm trying to like pick up the skills that he's taught a lot of other people a lot of things so i like to be around him to learn those things so yeah it is it is pretty cool that it all worked out the way it did what's his profession um so he's a a cowboy which um which which is a pretty broad word um but but for him that what that means is he works for a ranch. So there's a rancher lady that owns a, a big ranch in Montana with thousands of cows. And so he just works, works for that ranch. He gets, he gets paid a day wage and he takes care of the cows each season that, that job or that the tasks change, but it is basically like moving the cows from one pasture to another pasture, branding the cows in the spring or like getting the cows ready to ship to market in the fall and all the things in between of taking care of the cows. And then uh, as a result of that, like uh, a lot of most cowboys ride horses. And so he's a horseman and he, he's always starting new horses, uh, breaking horses and then sells the horses to, to make money because the, the cowboy day wage doesn't pay very much. And it's, it's usually like a young man's profession until you like figure out what you're going to do with your life or, or until you can buy your own cows and have your own. That's kind of every cowboy's dream. Like a young cowboy goes to work for a ranch and then they want to build up their own herd. 
but he kind of came into it like uh he he had a rodeo company and so he he produced rodeos all over the west and then he sold his company and started feeding the elk and he worked for a dude ranch for a couple summers and now he's just back to being a cowboy kind of where it all started but he's it's it's um there's not a lot of old men that he works with the young men. He's doing the job of a young man, but, um, yeah, so that's kind of what, what he does now. He kind of, yeah, that's kind of what he's done all his life is work with horses and cows and, and his, his uh, family had teams of teams of horses, which is different. A lot of cowboys don't have experience driving teams and hooking teams and feeding with a sleigh. That's kind of a unique thing. Most, most ranches are, places with cows feed their cows with a tractor in the in the winter so it's kind of a old timey old fashioned thing to use use teams and he's always his family did it and so he's always just been interested in that mm. so so yeah um Rita it's it's speaking to you it's just it, it I mean I've never spoken to anyone really who lives in the Midwest I've never spoken to anyone who Certainly, never spoken to anyone who feeds elk, um, and anyone who works on ranches. It's just a whole. Speaking to you just opens up a whole new world to me of, of yeah, the way, way that people live. If I'm talking about stuff that I need to like give more explanation of, or if it's like no, 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 it's fascinating. I mean, it's really fascinating. Um, and as just as we bring it to this close, to a close, I was wondering if. Um, if there's anything else that you'd like to say that we haven't haven't spoken about, if there's anything you've missed, or if you've got a particular message that you want to give to people who are listening, just anything at all. Um, I don't. I'm not sure. Maybe. Uh, so, like a common theme of my my life. Uh, yeah. For example, since I since I quit my job. I, I was like, oh, I don't, what am I going to do? But also since I quit, my whole life has been like a continuous vacation. And it, it's, I mean, that's still hard work. I, if you think about going on vacation, you come home and you're like, ah, oh, that was fun. but It was exhausting. But my life has been like a nonstop vacation. And it, I mean, I'm going on three years and everything is pretty, <coughs> like it's fine still. So, so if you're worried about quitting your job and you're like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm still not sure what I'm going to do, but I've been on like a nonstop vacation that has no, no end in sight. Like there's, I, I don't see any reason to stop with the vacation. So. That so. sounds pretty fabulous. It sounds pretty fabulous. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty nice. And, and, and it's uh, not, I, I think it's not traditional how people are used to, so people, people are like, Hey, you need to get a job, but well, okay, maybe I do, but maybe I don't though. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, just like, it's not a traditional way to live. So there's some, some pushback from people who are stuck in the traditional way of thinking, but, but it's working for me and it's, it's pretty nice. So mm. Sounds pretty good. Well, thank you so much, Rita. It's been, it's just been really interesting speaking to you. And, uh, oh, good. Hearing about your life. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brave New Women. 
certain podcast sites such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Podchaser let you leave a rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more people will listen and the more these women's stories will be shared. So I'd really appreciate it if you could. Thanks for listening.